Romans chapter 1. We've been saying open of the book of Psalms for a while. Now we're back to Romans as we head into the fall, heading into the New Testament and into this just glorious, glorious uh, epistle here. So we want to start by just laying just a little bit of groundwork. Uh, you know what, just some, some basic things we need to know coming to a, uh, a new letter, a new epistle, a new book of the Bible. And then after we lay a little bit of groundwork, we'll read. We're going to look at the first seven verses, Lord willing, this morning. And then we'll jump into our text here. So, you know, when you come to a, a book of the Bible, you always want to step back and ask the question, first of all, who wrote this book? Because we want to study in context. It helps to know who the author is, who it's being written to, the time period, and those types of things. And we'll see right off the bat, in fact, it's the first word of the first verse in the first chapter. It says Paul. And we know this epistle was indeed written by the Apostle Paul. But it wasn't just written by his hand. We know Paul wrote this epistle <coughs> as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. And it's wonderful as we open God's Word, we know that this isn't a book that a bunch of men just got together. But it's a book that indeed was penned as God moved on holy men. Notice 2 Peter 1.20, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit moved upon Paul to pen this epistle. And wonderfully, with Paul's epistles and Paul's writings, he has an endorsement, a weighty endorsement, in another epistle by the Apostle Peter. And I kind of chuckle, you know, oftentimes when authors write books, uh, Christian books and so forth, many times they'll have an endorsement on those books, you know, on the front or on the back cover. And one thing you need to know, oftentimes that endorsement comes from someone that has the same publisher. And a lot of times those books aren't even read. And sometimes guys are like, oh, what do I endorse here? I got to take that back and so forth. I chuckled that a little bit. And you know, sometimes those books are read and it's a solid endorsement. Listen, Paul gets probably the best earthly endorsement that he could get. Another apostle who was moved by the Holy Spirit to write his epistles, Peter gives Paul the greatest endorsement for men, saying that his writings are scripture. Notice 2 Peter 3, verse 15, he says, Consider the long-suffering of our Lord as salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, notice, as also in all his epistles. And Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament outside of the gospel, so much of the New Testament. And he says, speaking in them of these things, and which some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, then notice, as they do also with the rest of the scriptures. And so he's saying this is scripture. Paul's letters are scripture. Again, this is a high endorsement as these men are being moved by the Holy Spirit. And so... Again, many ways the scripture is confirmed. One of the most weighties is endorsements from other letters and books of the Bible. Just as you see the bulk of the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament and so forth. So written by Paul as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. So this is a weighty letter. I mean, this is a letter from the Holy Spirit of God, God himself. So we want to have ears to hear indeed. Now we know Paul wrote this during his third missionary journey. And we know 
earlier in the year, actually for about a year and a half, we went through the book of Acts and we looked at Paul's missionary journeys. And we know the end of his third missionary journey was when he was in Corinth ministering for about a year and a half. And we know it was in that time that he wrote this epistle. And we know that just from doing a little bit of detective work, because at the end of this epistle to the Romans in Romans 15, 25, he says, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And it was when Paul was in Corinth that he was sent out to kind of backtrack and see some of the churches that he had already ministered to. But it was on the way to go where to go to Jerusalem. So we know that this was written when he was in Corinth. We also know he had not gone to Rome yet. But after going to Jerusalem and being arrested, remember, he'd have to appeal to Caesar. And eventually he'd get to these Romans who he was writing this epistle to. Now, again, we know it was, and I just got ahead of myself, but that's okay. This was written to believers in Rome. And again, we read later in the epistle, Paul had longed to see them. Things had hindered him. And yet God, in his own way, made the way eventually for Paul to go to them. We'll talk a little bit more about them. We'll talk more about Paul as well as we get into this. And we'll talk about how this church in Rome had been birthed. And again, Paul had heard reports and so he wanted to write a letter of encouragement exhortation and uh really even more so to set straight and if you look at the major the major theme of the book of romans it's written and it's there in your notes in point four there as we're laying the foundation it was written to, to to set straight the design and nature of the gospel really the theme verse and uh lord willing we'll look at this next week or the week after but romans 1 16 this is the theme verse of the, the epistle of Romans, of the Romans. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Is that not good words? For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God or the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so I wanted to put a, as brief of an outline together as I could. And it's right there in your notes. And listen, there's a lot of notes there for you this morning. And so don't get overwhelmed by them. That's in part so you can go back to those after the study. Encourage at the minimum. When I reference a verse, you can look at that on there. We'll read some of those in full. Some of those we'll just refer to them to. But really verse 1 through 17, and this is where we're starting this morning. It's really an introduction it's Pauline groundwork, introducing himself, talking about who he's writing to and so forth. And then in the bulk of the book, chapter 1, verse 18, down through chapter 11, it's the, the, the emphasis of justification by faith. That we're not saved by our works, but by grace through faith. And again, then there's a breakdown, and it covers these areas in that bulk. Sin and the need for salvation. Listen, you go through the first three or four chapters of Romans and you walk away knowing that you're a sinner. There's some bad news there. But listen, the bad news ushers in the good news. Otherwise, it's just news, right? And so then it goes to justification by faith in Jesus Christ. It's such a strong emphasis on salvation through faith in the Lord. And that's so important. It's so important we don't waver from that. We don't get away from that. We don't start adding works because that's a false gospel. Or we also don't fall into that place of thinking the blood of Christ is not sufficient of washing us of our sins. From there, it gets into freedom found in our salvation. And indeed, the liberty we have in the Lord, 
as well as instruction of how to walk in that liberty in a manner that glorifies God. And then there's a glorious section of Romans that talks about Jews and Gentiles, talks about their roles, talks about how all Israel will come to salvation. So much to glean there. And then from 12 down through 15, it gets into the transformed life. A lot of practical instructions on how we're to be living and so forth. And then finally, his closing remarks, which are rich and deep as well. Today, listen, we're going to talk a little bit more about Paul. We'll go back to some things we learned about Paul and Acts. We're going to talk about the major theme. It's already in the introduction, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we'll also talk about, again, who's this written to? The Romans, not just them, though, but to all of us. And I think there's just a lot to glean here. It's, it's, it's seven verses, but it's rich and it's meaty and so forth. So listen, with that foundation, a little foundation read, let's read verses one through seven, and then we'll dive into this and, and hopefully just leave here knowing more of our Lord and who we are in Him and just more built up in Him. Can we say amen to that? So it says here, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the first word, Paul. And we learn in the book of Acts that Paul, his name was Saul. We know that he was not just a Pharisee, but he was of the Sanhedrin, and we know that he greatly persecuted the church. He greatly, greatly persecuted the body of Jesus Christ. When the church was fresh, when it was growing there in Israel, when it was growing there in Jerusalem. We learn of a man named Stephen who was a deacon. He waited tables. But listen, he also preached the gospel. And in the process of waiting tables, he would share Jesus with others. And that's an example for us. Listen, God has put us in our day-to-day -day business and so forth, not just to be there, but to rep the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to pray for his grace to rep him well. Stephen did that. And in doing so, there were some individuals did did not like what he shared. It was religious Jews that had rejected who, who had rejected Christ and they couldn't really refute his words and so we know one thing led to another and eventually they picked up stones they couldn't argue with Stephen they couldn't defeat his presentation so they said we got to censor you you know kind of sounds familiar right and the way they censored him was by picking up stones to 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 murder him and we read there in Acts 7, it says, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So they laid down their jackets at Saul's feet. Paul eventually would be his name. And they picked up rocks. And we know they stoned Stephen. Stephen, in the midst of that, prayed for their forgiveness. He looked up and he saw the Lord at the right hand of the Father. What a glorious scene. And this was making an impact on Saul or Paul. Later he would speak of this. But notice in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, after that happened, it says, at that time, a great persecution 
arose against the church that was in Jerusalem. And Paul didn't even know it, but God was even using him at this time because later in verse 3 it says, As for Saul, he made havoc on the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Where it says wreak havoc here, it is the same description of a wild boar that's just headed out to destroy things, to tear things up. We're a bit familiar with them in our area, the great damage they can do. And so that's how Paul went forward. And Paul unknowingly was even being used by God in dragging people off to prison, which is a horrible thing because God had told those in Jerusalem to spread out and preach the gospel. They hadn't done that. And so God was using this persecution to spread them out. And indeed, they would spread out and take the gospel far beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria as a result of this, as God called them to. Now, in the midst of this as well, listen, it's true whenever a church and whenever the church is under heavier persecution and there's more trials and tribulations, there's more and more prayer offered up. And we read a lot of those prayers recorded in Acts as a result of persecution, them turning and calling out to the Lord. No doubt, you know, it, praying for God's protection, praying for doors to be opened, praying for new believers and so forth. No doubt as well, praying for the salvation of those that were persecuting them. And beautifully, as you continue in Acts, you come to Acts 9, and we see Saul, the last guy anyone th- would think would get saved. Guess what? He's the guy that gets saved. And I love this because it's a reminder that we serve a supernatural God. Isn't that good news this morning? Who oftentimes, you know, it blesses us with super surprises. Because we know even after Saul got saved, everyone was leering. They're like, no way. No, I don't, I don't believe it, and so forth. But we know Paul, or Saul, he was going to Damascus, and it's interesting, it says he was still breathing threats of murder there in Acts 9-1. So he was just consumed. Again, it was deep in his person. He, even when he breathed, it was full of murderous thoughts to try to snuff out Christianity. And really it was because, listen, the, the Christians proclaimed the Messiah had been hung on a tree. Well, the law of God says curses anyone who, who's hung on a tree. And no doubt Paul said there's no way the Messiah is cursed. Paul didn't understand that he became a curse for us. Paul didn't get that at this point. And so no doubt it fueled him to try to stop Christians from spreading this message that the Messiah was cursed. Later, no doubt, he would realize Jesus was cursed for him, a sinner. And Jesus was cursed for us. In fact, much of Romans speaks of this, that Christ came to atone for our sins. And praise God, because he was without sin, he defeated that curse when he rose from the grave. Do you know in Christ Jesus, the curses of sin, death, hell, and Satan have been defeated in the Lord, in his resurrection? And we need to know that. We need to understand that. I think there's times we even walk in bondages that we don't we don't need to walk in just from the, you know, what the psychological warfare of the enemy thinking, well, you know, you can't overcome that because this happened to you and that happened to you. And your grandma was involved, this, that and the other and so forth. And yes, the Bible does speak of generational sin and so forth. But guess what? Jesus took our curse. We have victory in the Lord and God would show that to Saul on that road to Damascus. And I won't read the text that's there for you, but we know he was going to get more power to arrest more Christians, and the Lord met him on that road. A great light shined around him. He fell to the ground. 
The Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me there in Acts 9, 4? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. We know that it was a profession of faith by Saul. We know, again, he immediately starts calling Jesus Lord. The Lord tells him where to go. He says, go to, you know, a, to, to a certain home, and you're going to hear what's going to happen to you from then. Then God called a man named Ananias to meet Paul there, and Ananias was leery. He said, I know who this guy is. I know he greatly persecutes the church. And the Lord told him in Acts 9, 15 concerning Paul, and this is where we head next, where he says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, notice here, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, and I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, God met Paul in the midst of him persecuting his body, his church. Paul fell on his face. He cried out to the Lord for salvation, and indeed he was saved when he cried out to the Lord, and yet the Lord recruited him not only to his family for salvation, but he also recruited him into service. The same is true with us. A verse we look at oftentimes, Ephesians 2, 8 down through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. For his work, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we're saved through what the Lord has done, him atoning for our sins, resurrecting from the grave so we could be washed of our sins and have victory over the second death, know that we have eternal life through him and him alone, but we are saved unto good works. We're saved to be followers of the Lord. I mean, think about it. You said, Jesus, be my Lord. That means something. It means he is your Lord, your God. It means that he is your master. And yes, we are adopted sons and daughters of the Lord. We are friends of God. And that's a glorious thing. But make no mistake, we are also called servants of the living God. We're called to serve the Lord. We are called, as it says there in Acts 9, 15, to bear his name. And I love it because Paul starts this epistle by saying, Paul, and he doesn't just say a servant of Jesus Christ, but he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And Paul recognized he wasn't just called to be a servant of the Lord, but to be a bondservant of God. And I'll just break it down and make it really clear. A bondservant is a slave. And when Paul wrote this letter, they especially knew what he was talking about because about a third of Rome, about a third of the citizens of Rome, in fact, you can't even call a third of them citizens, they were slaves. There were millions and millions of slaves made up of all sorts of different ethnicities and backgrounds that were slaves in Rome. Now, praise God, slavery would be overthrown eventually in Rome through Jesus Christ, through people getting born again, through following the Lord. And it's a reminder to us, cultures only change when hearts first change. That's why it's imperative that we preach the gospel everywhere we go. You can't change the outward unless the inward is first changed. And Paul himself, practically, he wasn't a slave. He was a Roman citizen. That was of great value there in Rome. In fact, we, re we read in Acts how Paul would use that uh, more than once. You know, to even he was heavily persecuted, and yet 
It saved him as well at times saying, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. He had many practical rights. But see, once he got born again, he was unashamed of the gospel and he would proclaim to everyone, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bear the name of Jesus. Paul would say, I am called and my aim is to die daily to myself, to daily bear the name of the Lord and to daily serve God. He was about the cause of Christ at every turn. That's why I said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. And listen, this is where it's very easy to say, well, I love Jesus. We love Jesus. We can say amen to that, right? And I have no problem serving him here and there, but I want nothing to do with being a slave. (laughs) But here's the deal. This is what you need to understand this morning. Everyone in this garden out here today and on the face of this earth is a slave to something. Everyone has a master. And before Christ, Paul, though practically he was free as a Roman citizen, though he paid taxes, you know, you can really break it down who's really free practically. Listen, positionally, even as a Pharisee, as a Pharisee who had not trusted in Christ, he was a slave to sin. And so is the world outside of Jesus Christ. Notice 2 Peter 2.19. While they promised liberty, and he's talking about false teachings, teachers with false gospels. While they promise liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. By whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Who are you overcome by? And maybe you say, oh, I'm not overcome by anybody. I do as I will. Well, you're overcome then by the God of your own belly. And this is why, 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 why the Lord said, he must bear my name. He's going to be overcome by me. I'm calling this man to be my servant. I'm calling this man to be my slave for my purposes. Now, listen, we're going somewhere with this, and it's good. But before we came to the Lord, we were, and if you don't know the Lord, you are a slave to sin, the world system, and it's God. That's just where everyone is outside of Christ. Listen to 1 John 1.15. We know we are of God. The we there in context is those that have called upon Christ. Have you called upon Christ this morning? Can you say amen to that? We are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Or under the influence of the wicked one. Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you he made alive who were de- dead in trespasses and sin, in which, notice here, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He goes on to say, We were by nature children of wrath, whether we knew it or not. Whether the world who's rejected Christ and pushing away, whether they know it or not, they're under the influence of the wicked one. Jesus went so far to say, You're of your father, the devil, if you are not of Christ. Beautifully, the Lord had set Paul positionally free from the bondage of sin. Because when we come to Christ, our sins are washed. We're no longer under the law that damns us, but we're under grace, which we'll talk more about here in a second, that saves us, that frees us. We're under the life of Christ who, who, you know, was without sin and who defeated death. Positionally, we are free And then God has called us practically day in, day out to walk in freedom. And here's the key in all of this. 
walking day after day in freedom, it's fully found in living as a slave to Jesus. You see, in Christ, living for Christ and serving Christ is the only place where slaves, and we're all slaves to something, are truly free. And on top of that, we even get an inheritance. There's freedom found in serving the Lord. It's the only place where slaves are set free. And I'll tell you, there's nothing better and greater than being a servant of God Almighty. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, 34. Most assuredly, I say to you. So he says, listen, I'm giving assurance that this is true. Not that he needs to do that. Everything he says is true. But sometimes he even emphasizes it more because we have a tendency maybe to doubt some things more than others. So he says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And Paul came to Christ and he was free. He was free in Christ having his sins forgiven. And he was free as a bondservant of Christ because that's the only place where freedom is found. And on top of that, an inheritance is found. On top of that, we are grafted into the family of God as sons and daughters of the living God. And we have all things pertaining to life and godliness in this life. And we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies forever. We got to learn to embrace this, though, because our flesh is, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I, if I, if I, you know what, if, if I carry the name of Christ into everywhere I go and his name is upon me and I fully, you know, fully go in with every area and that's my desire, I'm going to lose life. But that's a lie. That's where life's found. When those other things take priority over the Lord, that's where freedom is lost. And it's not to say there's not a place for other things, but they always need to be subjected to the main thing, which is the main person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's Paul, a, a citizen in Rome, something prestigious. He says, I'm a bondservant or I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He says, next called to be an apostle. And Paul was called to the office of apostleship, a very small office made up of a handful of men who were hand-selected by the Lord to spread the gospel and to build the church and to write the epistles, the New Testament that we have before us. It was an office of a selected few, but it was an office that Paul, who once was full of pride when he was a Pharisee, I mean, what kind of individual goes into a house and arrests people and drags them off? You've got to be full of some, you know what, some great self-righteousness would you not, you know, be to, to even justify such a thing. And yet when Paul came to the Lord, he embraced this call to apostleship with great humility. First Corinthians five or excuse me, fifteen nine, he says, for I am the least of the apostles. And he goes on to say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And the Lord will want us to take on that attitude that I am what I am, that we are what we are here this morning. We're born again. We're saved, we're Christians, by the grace of God Almighty, to God be the glory. If there's any gifts we have that makes an impact, I am what I am by the grace of God. If there's anything redeeming, if there's anything good, it is by the grace of God, to God be the glory. And let me tell you again, there's freedom found in walking in humility. There's bondage found walking in pride. This call to apostleship 
It wasn't an easy call. I won't read it all, but there in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in 23, Paul gives a list of those many sufferings that it was said that he would endure. He says there in verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, and in deaths often. And he goes down this list of things that you would read and go, Oh, this is Christianity. I don't think I want anything to do with this. And yet Paul embraced it with great joy to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ. And I'll tell you, in all of it, even in the deepest prisons that he would be put in at times, he was the freest man in that place because the Lord had set him free. And indeed, he with the sun sets free is free indeed. It was a high call, a difficult call. But hear this through Christ Jesus It is a call that Paul fulfilled because of the grace of God upon him. Notice what he said at the end of his day, 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will uh, will give to me on that day and not only me but also those who love his appearing and you need to know this this morning let's look at paul's example following the lord we'll be truthful about it it's not always easy is it times is difficult and if anyone when you got saved said hey it's going to be easy it's going to be smooth sailing they either lie to you or they're biblically inept (laughs) but listen it's a call that can be fulfilled and will be fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ at every single turn. And Paul's life is a great reminder of that. Listen to this and listen, try to listen to it this morning and with, with fresh ears. And say, take this right now as, as a great encouragement. Maybe right now you're in the midst of a, of a trial. And we know there's trials in our land and, you know, there, there's tribulation, you know, there, there's 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 all sorts of you know it's a, it's a different world right we've talked about that i don't need to go into all that this morning but personally going through things and so forth listen to this with fresh ears philippians 4 11 because a lot of times we just skip to verse 13 and you got to hear what comes first he says not that i speak in regard to need and this is paul speaking he says i've learned in whatever state i am what state are you in this morning we're all in different states, whatever state I am, to be content. And I know how to be abased. Maybe this morning you're abased. Maybe this morning you're in a place where you're greatly afflicted. Maybe you're in a place this morning where practically there's been setbacks or things aren't working out the way you think that they should. But he says, I, I know how to be abased. I also know how to abound. He says everywhere. So no matter where I'm at, Paul was all over the place. Everywhere, notice And in all things, what things are happening in your life? He says, in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer need. Maybe there's, you know, what areas you're suffering need in. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'll tell you, when you come to the Lord, you get born again. You get saved. You come to the Lord and you get grafted into the family of God. And you take up on that title, I'm a bondservant of the Lord. As your eyes are upon him, your Lord will go before you no matter where you are on the hill, on the on the in the valley floor, on the you know what the the windy road in the darkness and the light. And absolutely 
we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Isn't that good news? Paul says, separated to the gospel of God. And so again, he's talking about his call, who he is. I'm a bondservant of the Lord. I'm called to be an apostle. He says, I didn't make it up. I was called by the Lord. And then I was separated to the gospel of God. The word separated here, it means a boundary. It means to be excluded, to divide, to sever. And Paul had specifically amongst the apostles been divided or set apart to take the gospel out to the Gentile world. It was a specific call upon him. We read in Acts 13 too, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And the specific call was those missionary journeys that we went through this past year in Acts of Paul going out to all these different areas, you know, to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ forward. A specific call on him. And we talked about this often. We have specific calls on us. Specific gifts that he's given to us. Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And 1 Peter 4, 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. And so we want to know what those gifts are. We want to be asking the Lord to show us those gifts. And then we want to walk in them. We don't want to be separated for a certain call or a certain gifting and then not walk in it. Wouldn't it have been tragic if Paul had not walked in that call upon him? What he and the body of Christ have been set apart to do? You need to know this morning, you have a specific function in the body of Christ. And God wants you to walk in it to give glory to him to build up your fellow brother and sister in the Lord. And listen, we need that. We need that more than other than any other time to be building up one another as a community of people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And absolutely, again, we want to walk in a manner that's just pleasing to him. And we even know that there's greater rewards here and in glory in doing so. Also in this, quickly, listen, Paul's acknowledging that as a bondservant of the Lord who bears his name, we're also separated to the gospel of Christ from a world that's rejecting Jesus Christ. We're called to be in it, but not of it. We're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we shouldn't be looking more and more and more like the world. We should be looking more and more and more like Jesus Christ. We probably should be considered Jesus freaks on an abounding scale, you know, more and more. Boy, he's even more of a Jesus freak than he was before. And this is called this calls on us strong today. Listen, in Revelation 18 at the end, you see the demise of this Babylonian system that we are that that we are in the midst of and that is just abounding like a beast coming out of the sea right now is described in the word of God. And you need to know this call to follow the Lord, to be in the world, but not be of it. It's not a call to death. It's a call to life. Just as the call to be a servant of God is not a call to death. It is the call to life, the only call to life. And I'll tell you, this system around us, it's going to fail miserably. It's going to fall on its face. Notice what it says at the end of Revelation 18.23. He's talking about this Babylonian system. He says, the light of lamps shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of 
bridegrooms and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were great men in the earth. And then notice, for by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her were found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain. That's where this is headed to the word sorcery. It's very interesting. I have some definitions there for you in your notes. It basically means magic, witchcraft, spell giving uh, potions, a poisoner or a druggist. And this world we're living in is wanting to poison us spiritually. It's wanting to poison us mentally. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of physical poisoning as well. Again, you've got to take up God's word and see what God's commentary on our world is right now. But listen, earlier there in Revelation 18, and this is something, a verse that I've been contemplating and thinking a lot about. Because I think this has been a general word for his church over the years. But in the days we're in right now, I think this is more and more becoming a specific verse for us in this hour Paul says he's separated to God. And then notice Revelation 18.4. It's earlier in this chapter as he lays out the fall of this system. He says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. I don't know about you, but I see more and more of a call on my, God, on my life from God to be separated from this world and its system, to be in it. To be on the front lines spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's more and more of a longing in my heart to say, I want, I want to bear the name of Christ at every turn. I want to be a servant of God at every turn. And I'm finding at every turn there's more and more life found as we abound in him. And I hope and pray this morning we would understand this isn't a call to, to sourness. This isn't a call to death. This isn't a call to losing life. This is a call to freedom, to victory, to fulfilling the call that he has on all of us as individuals and a call he has on us as a church here in this north county to shine bright and represent the lord jesus christ hopefully we'll get through these verses if not we'll just stop but separated to the gospel of god and again we know the gospel of god what's the gospel some people say oh you know they, they they made the gospel broad and wide and they start adding all this stuff the gospel's simple First Corinthians 15 and verse one, Paul says, I declare the gospel to you. And then he says in verse two, he says, you're saved by this gospel when you hold fast to it. And then he breaks down the gospel. He says there in verse three, Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture, he was buried and he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, that's the gospel. The bad news were sinners were under God's wrath. The good news, God sent his son according to the scriptures he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He went and stood in our place, took the wrath to us upon himself. He was buried. The wages of sin is death. He died for our sins, but praise God on the third day, he rose from the grave according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That is the gospel there, the cut and dry of the gospel. And it's the gospel, and it's the good news, because it is the good news that saves sinners, that calls upon Christ. And there's no other means of salvation except the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm separated for the gospel. And then he talks about the gospel. And listen, the gospel's no small thing. It didn't just happen. Notice what he says. The gospel which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures again he says god promised the gospel 
And he promised it through his prophets who wrote the word of God. And we go back to Genesis and we see we see the first picture of the gospel. Man sinned in the garden. Man was under a death sentence. And God said to the serpent who had tempted man, who had lied to man, who man chose to listen to instead of God who gives life. He listened to that serpent who brings death. And again, we go back to it so often. Genesis 5, or excuse me, 3.15. He said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And then we get a picture of the cross. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. A Savior's coming, he's saying, through the seed of woman. We know later on in Isaiah 7, 14, it says a virgin would come and she'd give birth to a son. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And then as it goes on to say in verse 3 here, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. God revealed more and more about the coming Messiah through the Old Testament the genealogy and so forth, that he'd be of the line of David. Mary was of the line of David. So was Joseph, his earthly father, according to Scripture. But we know the Holy Spirit came upon Mary as a virgin so Christ could be conceived and come into this world, not with a sinful earthly father, but of his heavenly father, that he would be born without sin. He could live a life without sin. He could die on the cross for sinners and be resurrected from the grave that whoever calls upon his name will be saved. This is no small matter. here. This is massive. And there's hundreds of prophecies that Christ fulfilled in his first coming to show that he was and is who he said he would be. And I always tack this on. There's five times more prophecies concerning his second coming. So listen, as he came the first time, you better believe that he's coming again. Important here, it says he was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. This is so huge. You got to understand Jesus, God Almighty, literally took on the form of a man and literally became flesh. John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And then you skip down to verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our Jehovah Witness friends, favorite scriptures, right? One of them knocked on the door one time. I took him like, why do you Christians always got to go to that text? Because it destroys everything you believe in is why. <laughs> Real simple. Jesus is God. Jesus came in the flesh. And hear this, he had to come into the flesh. He had to be bodily born, bodily tempted, bodily crucified, and bodily resurrected because a spirit could not atone for our sins. And yet Satan always wanted to come against the work of the Lord early on and still to this day. Many cults today say, well, Jesus didn't resurrect in the flesh. Second John, verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And then notice, why did he come in the flesh? Romans 8, 3. And we'll get deep into this, the Lord willing, down the road. He says, what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Listen, Jesus literally came. He literally lived a life in flesh and blood. 
He literally went to the cross to literally atone for your sins. He was literally put into a grave and he literally rose from the grave on the third day and defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell. Whoever calls on him will be saved and he's literally coming again. It speaks here as well as in verse 4, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Now we know in Matthew 3, the father declared Jesus to be the son of God. He said, this is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased when the Lord was baptized. That's even a better endorsement than Paul got from Peter, right? And he was proved to be the son of God through the spirit of holiness and the power of the resurrection of dead. Again, Jesus was 100% God. He was 100% man. And he lived again in 100% power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, in 100% holiness. Hebrews 4.15. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then again, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And hear this. If he hadn't been without sin, he could not resurrect from the dead. If the Lord would have sinned at any point, he would still be in the grave right now. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he lived a sinless life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he rose from the grave. Just as even Jesus said that he would. Remember, he said, destroy this temple and three days later I will raise it. All oh, the Pharisees were crazy. It took years to build this thing. They didn't understand that he was spoke of his body. Then afterwards, when he rose, his disciples remembered, oh, yeah. Now I get it. <laughs> now I know what he's talking about. And listen, on top of this, if Christ is not risen, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, our preaching is empty and our faith also is empty. But you skip down to verse 20, but Christ is risen from the dead. And can you believe even this morning there's churches all over the world who meet and they don't believe Jesus rose from the grave? You talk about utter foolishness, like why? Why are you even gathering together? Paul says in that chapter, if if Christ, if Christ did not ra- rise, we're, we're the most pitiful people and we should rise up, eat, drink and be merry. We should go back to the debauchery found when Moses went up to get the law down below. But notice he has risen from the grave. <laughs> he's risen from the grave and he's done it with, again, the, 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 the power of the spirit and the resurrection, which is the declaration that he is the son of God. Now notice verse 5. It says, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Now we need grace to be saved. We already touched on this. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. And it's not just faith in anything. I crack up sometimes I get these emails from pastors and they're like, I'm writing to the faith community. And you find out they're including all those cults and all these false religions. And it's like, bro, man, what are you talking about? The faith community? Real faith is only in Jesus Christ. Quit, quit, you know what? Quit tempering or, uh, you know what? I think there's a comforting of people. You're comforting people when you include them in the body of Christ. Or we're all part of the faith community. Kumbaya. Bro, if your faith's not in Christ Jesus, you have a faith that is not going to save you. It's going to damn you to hell. I don't care what it's in. We need faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We need his grace. Again, and we receive that grace through faith in him. Paul goes deep into that, into this epistle. We see it other places. Through him, we receive grace. Through faith in Jesus, we receive the gift of God of our sins washed. All his promises that are yes and amen. His grace also, we receive that grace. We also receive an empowerment. And I want to leave this first down because then we'll talk about apostleship, obedience, And the call on us, when we receive grace, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Lord talked about rivers of living water that will come out of those who believe in him. And he says he spoke concerning the Spirit. John 7, 37 down through 39. We received an empowerment. So with grace comes salvation. With grace comes the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And with grace becomes comes a divine influence that enables us to be sent out to all nations. Paul was sent out in the office of an apostle. Again, a handful of men of that office of being apostles in the early church with a capital A. But the word apostle, basically, it means to be sent. And really, if you break it down, if we don't want to get too technical about it, We've been sent, so in the small form of apostles, we are apostles in that we have been sent with a small a. I get a little leery when guys, I'm an apostle so-and-so. Well, wait a minute. You saw the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? Like, slow down a little bit there, partner, you know. Paul was very humble in this, and you're taking that title on yourself with a capital A. But all of us are apostles with a small a, and that we have been sent For obedience to faith among all nations, he says, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. And beautifully, he just doesn't send us out, but he empowers us with that that send out. And he's also with us as we read there in Matthew 28, 20 till the end of the age. Man, if you're rolling with Jesus, you're rolling with power. Amen. So. We get that grace through faith. It saves us. That grace brings the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That grace brings a divine influence to go forth to all nations. And hear this. That grace is also a divine influence that empowers us to walk in obedience. Obedience to the faith of Christ. As he says here, through him you have received grace and apostleship for what? For obedience to faith among all nations for our namesake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed, even as a follower of the Lord, it's easy to fall in sin. And praise God, he washes us of our sin. He washes our feet. Again, he who is clean only needs his feet washed. Positionally, we're right. Practically, we get dirty feet. But you need to know this this morning. It's easy to fall into that place of just God forgives, God forgives. And praise God, he does. And the minute he stops, we're all in big trouble. But you need to know as as well this morning, God's given you grace not just to save you, but God's given you grace to be a divine influence to help you walk in obedience. To help you walk in holiness. Not that that obedience saves you or that holiness saves us. The only thing that saves us is the obedience and holiness of Christ. But by the grace of God, we have a capability in us to say no to sin. Do you know that? Notice 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond 
what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know what that's called? That's called grace. That's called favor. There's a way of escape. How did that get there? By happenstance? No, God, by his grace, is creating that way of escape. Notice Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of a witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is setting before us, doing what? Looking unto Jesus. Lay aside that sin that easily ensnares and do what? Look unto Jesus. How can we even look unto Jesus and lay that aside? By the grace of God. He's with us to the end of the age. Listen, grace was not given to give us a license to sin, but grace was given to us to have victory over sin. We never want to come to the place where we use it for the other. Notice Jude 4, certain men have crept in a notice who were long ago marked out for this condemnation ungodly men who did the, t- turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, by grace you are saved and by grace you can walk in obedience to the Lord, which includes when you fall short, saying, Lord, wash me and forgive me and pick me up. And guess what? He's going to do that time and time again because he's so good to us. But at the end of the day, obedience, hear this, it's always better than sacrifice or asking for forgiveness. And it's not that we want to walk in obedience to put a feather in our cap and get puffed up and say, man, check me out. Look how holy I am and so forth. You're walking in disobedience when you come into that place. Again, Paul's life was marked by humility. But when you walk in obedience, hear this, you walk in freedom. And it's so much better. And walking in freedom. Second or first Samuel fifteen twenty two, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And then he says, for sin or rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It goes right back to that sorcery that we've been called what out of. It's the same word. It's pharmakia. Obedience is better than pharmakia. That's why you want to embrace being a bondservant of the Lord. Let me tell you, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And God has called us to walk in freedom. And that is found when our eyes are set upon Jesus Christ, positionally and practically in our day-to-day life. We're almost done here. Again, he says, this isn't just a call on me. It's a call on all of us in Christ, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad you've been called by Christ Jesus? And then he says to all who are in Rome, and again, we know the gospel got to Rome early on. In Acts 2 at Pentecost, there were some Jews from Rome. They heard the gospel. They took it back. This letter was for them. And hear this. This letter is for us. There's no exceptions. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And notice, it's profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction of righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word is to equip us. It's for us, all scripture. It's for every man of God, every woman of God. Are you in Christ this morning? Can you say amen to that? Well, listen, you're a man of God, you're a woman of God, and scripture's for us. And then he says, those in Rome beloved by God. They were loved by God, and there's good news this morning, saints. You're loved by God. 
He demonstrated it on the cross. It's demonstrated in his promises. As Jeremiah 31.3 says, he's loved us with an everlasting love. Is that not good news? And he says, called to be saints. A saint is one who is morally blameless. And in Christ Jesus, we are blameless. We are saints. We have been sanctified positionally before God. And then practically, God wants us to walk in that freedom and that process of being more sanctified day in and day out, growing in the Lord. And then finally, he, he's introducing, he's laying down again the introduction of the book, and he says a prayer for those in Rome. And listen, it's a prayer for us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They had received grace. Paul speaks of grace and the awesomeness of grace. And then I love it, Paul prays for more grace to be upon them because, listen, grace brings peace and more grace brings more peace. And you can't have peace without grace. Otherwise, it's a false peace. And boy, there's a lot of false peace in this world. A lot of people rejecting the grace of God, holding on to a false peace. In fact, it's going to implode on this world. But in Christ, there is real grace. There is real peace. And God wants us to abound in it. And God absolutely will enable us to abound in it by who? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand up. We made it. You look to those notes, you're like, ah, we ain't going to make it. (laughs) By the grace, we made it. The grace of God. And I know we we, we bit off a chunk, but again, I, I, I wanted to, you know, give a more detailed note this morning to have something to look at and you know, and hopefully we had a clear word here. And I just know this, my God is so good. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we bless you today. We just thank you for who you are, for your person. And oh, Lord God, we rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're such an awesome God who calls sinners to yourself and saves them by your grace. And then you deem them saints. What a glorious thing. What a privilege to gather with saints out here today, God. And indeed, we want to be a people abounding in the knowledge of our God, rejoicing in the grace of our God, and walking in that call that you've placed upon us, Lord. Oh, God, renew our minds, Lord, to really understand the freedom found and being bondservants of Jesus Christ. Shine your face upon your people. And if you're here today and you haven't called upon Christ, today's the day of salvation. Listen, the Lord loves you. You've heard some bad news today, but listen. You've heard the good news today, that Jesus Christ bore your sin, that he loves you. Listen, the word of God, it goes on to say in Romans that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be your God. It's a a profession. I'm a sinner in Jesus. You're without sin. You died and rose. Save me, and he will. If that's you calling him right now. Let the Lord meet you where you're at right now. Maybe you've drifted far from him. Come back to him today. You could be a million steps away. It's only one step back. And the Lord stands with his arms open, ready to clothe you with a robe and a ring. He loves you so much. Let's lift our voices to the Lord as we close here.
God bless you. I just pray he greatly shines his face upon you. Um, 
encourage you guys. We got some time before the next service. Build up one another. Encourage each other in the Lord. I'm going to be up here. Invite Pastor Jerry up. And uh, we'd love to pray with anyone this morning that needs that. And pray with one another. Encourage one another. And again, God bless you in the Lord Jesus.